I want you to go with me to uh, Mark chapter 6. And um, I want to begin reading out of Mark, no, Mark chapter 8. If you would stand with me. I'm going to read, then we're going to pray, then I'm going to share some things God's put in my heart this week. But uh, Mark chapter 8, verse 34. He said, When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, Jesus, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me, that means embarrassed or fearful. Whoever, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. How many of you agree that's where we are in this hour? Of him, the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. So, Lord, we just thank you for this morning. Thank you for your presence. Thank you, God. For uh, the time in which we're living and the testimonies we're hearing of how you're moving, and you have been moving in many places for many years, and now you've saved the best for last, the best wine for last. And we just ask you now, God, to give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Give us a heart that responds and a yieldedness, Lord, to say yes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We see in Acts chapter 11 and verse 26, you don't have to turn there, but how it was in Antioch where the followers of Jesus were first called Christians. And I believe it was the intent of God not only to define them, name them Christians, but he wanted to define that term. He wanted them to live out what it meant to be a Christian before the world. And uh, before, a, uh, as he said, we read in Mark chapter 8, a rebellious and adulterous and sinful, and you could go on, you could fill in the gaps there and say ungodly, depraved, detestable, extremely sinful generation, perverted, rebellious, wicked. You know, we could just go on and on and on because we're living in such an age right now. And don't you think if we're going to be called Christians that it's God's will that we, now our testimonies, define what it means to be a Christian? We need to define that now before the world, before us, so that they'll have that, that testimony. And I believe God is uh, doing that. Now, you know, I, I've heard over the years, I heard people say, you know, that if you were brought before a crowd or a court... Would there be enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? How I many of you have heard that? We've heard that all our life. I heard someone else say, you know, that going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a, a hamburger. And I've heard that, and uh, I understand what that means. But we need to uh, examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. We need to make sure in this hour, 
You know, there are going to be many that called him Lord, Lord. They did all kinds of wonderful things. They prophesied. They saw miracles. But um, he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Now, I hear all kinds of uh, explanations as to what that does and doesn't mean. Well, all I know, I don't want to hear the Lord say to me, depart from me. I never knew you. And uh, that's not what you want to hear in that day. But I also know that Western Christianity and biblical Christianity don't always line up together. There's not always a biblical parallel, especially if only 4% of Americans have an actual biblical worldview. Then somewhere along the line, Christianity has been distorted. It's been undescribed, actually. It's, been, uh, it's not been defined properly. And uh, so that's what I want to try to do this morning. But over in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, in the Amplified chapter 5, listen to this. It says, test and evaluate yourselves to see, this is from the Amplified, to see whether you are in the faith and living your lives as committed believers. Examine yourself, or do you not recognize this about yourselves by an ongoing experience? that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test and are rejected as a counterfeit. And I believe in that day there will not only be the, the genuine, but there's going to be the counterfeit. So we now as the church in this last hour, we need to make sure people know the genuine. And um, if it's counterfeit and we offend them, so be it. It would be better that we offend them then they go into eternity believing something that is not true. You know, it was the priests that were to set the example. They were to build that standard. They were to teach the people that which is holy from that which is unholy. They were to define the righteous from that which is unrighteous. And I, I, I told you I'm reading through the Bible twice now you know, every year, and um, along with going through those apostolic prayers, I'm just telling you, it's been good for me. But anyway, I ran across this scripture, 2 Kings chapter 12. It said, Jehoash, he was the king of Judah. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days in which Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. And so we've got to continue instructing, continue defining, and continue, you know, bringing forth, I mean, we, we are responsible. We're the pillar and the support of the truth. If we don't tell the truth, who else is? And uh, so this week now, I'm a um, couple things before I went to hear Sadu for a couple times because I just appreciate being around them and, and Brother Steve and down in Shelby. And uh, I told Chris, I didn't tell Chris, I'm going to tell him this week, but anyway, uh, the last two prepare conferences, I was one of the speakers. And I'm going to tell him this time when I see him this coming week, hey, Chris, I was the John the Baptist. I was preparing the way for you. And he was speaking this time with uh, Brother Sadu, and it was, um, I didn't get to hear Chris, but I heard it was amazing. And I appreciate Chris Reed for what he's already deposited into our lives and into this fellowship. But anyway, I was in uh, Fort Mill. And uh, I was asked to teach MSU on Wednesday, Morningstar University, and then they have the School of the Prophets. Now, they have the once-a-month School of the Prophets. 
I just was asked to teach that weekly class. They, you can major in the School of the Prophets. And I had a wonderful time on that Wednesday, and it was glorious. And then we went off and uh, was uh, Thursday night and Friday with, at that conference. And then I went in the room, preached in Uganda, and then ran back home. And Anyway, it's a wonderful time, man. I just appreciate being involved in the things of God. I'm just thankful. Man, my youth is being renewed like the eagles. I've been declaring that every morning. Now, you guys may be getting older. I'm not getting older up here. I'm just getting better. The Lord saved his best wine for last. But anyway, Thursday, no, Wednesday night, I'm uh, spending the night at Heritage, and I kept waking up. You, ever, you know, that happens. This was not a bad one. I, sometimes you wake up and you just, man, you want to go back to sleep. This one I kept waking up with, with words that kept coming to my mind, and so I would write them down. And it fit what I'm going to share for the rest of the time, you know, really what genuine Christianity is. So here's what the Lord gave me. Okay, you ready? We'll go quick. Number one, genuine Christianity is controversial. Let me show you in John chapter 6. Jesus was the most controversial figure that ever lived on planet earth. And I'll show you this in verse 48, John 6. And verse 48, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they're dead. This is, he just told it like it was. He wasn't trying to sugarcoat where they've gone to that great resting, final resting place in the sky. No, they're dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Now, what do you think happened when the Jews heard this? The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of God, he just kind of added to the story, and drink his blood. You have no life in you. Whoever eats this flesh and drinks his my blood, my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day, for my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. And he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. And as the Father, the living Father sent me, you know, as I live because of the Father, live because of me. This is the bread, verse 58, which came down from heaven, not as your father ate in the manna, ate the manna, and are dead, but he who eats this bread, and he already said, me, will live forever. And these things he taught in the synagogue. He taught it right in the middle of the church. And uh, they weren't very happy. Verse 34, therefore, many of his disciples, not only the Jews, but many of his disciples heard this. And they said, this is really a hard saying, Lord. Who can understand it? And uh, Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained. And they began to murmur about this. And he asked them, does this offend you? You know, in the early church, the believers were accused of cannibalism. Well, no wonder. If you don't know the Lord and you heard him saying this, you could be tempted 
to believe these people were cannibals yourself. And this lasted for a number of years, actually. They, they stereotyped the believers. It justified the persecution. But from day one, Christianity was controversial. They were called conspiracy theorists in their day. I mean, even the Sadducees, you know, remember, they didn't believe in the resurrection. And we've all heard that's the reason they were sad, you see. They didn't believe in the power of God, the supernatural. But those who did believe in the resurrection, they believed were off on some other planet. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul said, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. This was a couple weeks ago. You guys that come to this church, you're brave souls. She was picking up some prescription, and the pharmacist said, I have to tell you something. Now, she's, that pharmacist had been here before. She's one of our friends, so she wasn't blasting us, but she said, I want you to know people talk about you out here. I've heard all kinds of things about the gathering. I've heard that you guys, they said you're a cult. And they also say that you demand all the people give all your belongings to you and Shirley. And Shirley came over and told me about that. And I thought, you mean they believe that we require all of your belongings and um, all your money? And anyway, I just... Uh, now, you can do one or two things when you hear things like that. You can go home and cry. Or you can just do what Jesus said. He said, blessed are you. When men revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. So in Walmart, we began to rejoice and we were exceedingly glad. But you know, it's now not all the people are of the devil. Some people are just misguided. They just repeat. They join hands, I think, with the accuser. But I'll never forget Somebody told me in a young, when I was a young preacher, they said if the devil's crowd or anybody, if the crowd in general doesn't have anything bad to say about you, God is probably not saying that much good for you. And I've never forgotten that. So number one, it's controversial. You're going to be controversial if you follow Christ. Secondly, it's confrontational. Look in John, one page over, chapter 8 and verse 31. Chapter 8, verse 31, then Jesus said to the Jews who believed, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Now, if you tell someone this, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. If they've got some idol or they're, you know, they've got some religious spirit, they're going to somehow respond they're going to have to defend themselves, and that's what happened. So they answered them, we're Abraham's descendants, and we've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in, you know, the, the house forever, but a son abides forever, and if the son makes you free, you're free. I know that you are Abraham's descendants. He said, yeah, I know that you are naturally born in Israel, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. 
And I speak what I've seen with my father. You do what you've seen with your father. And then he's trying to make friends with them. So they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Abraham. Jesus said, well, if you were of Abraham's children, you'd do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who's told you the truth. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we, we were not born of fornication. We have only one father, God. Jesus said, if God were your father, you'd love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Why do you not understand this? Verse 44, here's where he's just trying to be friendly. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. For he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, and he is a liar, the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe in me. You know, Jesus wasn't that. He would have a hard time making it today in our society. He was not that inclusive. He was not necessarily accepting or tolerant. He was very definitive as to how he defined what it meant for someone to have God as their father and someone who did not. He didn't allow there to be any gray area. He was the one that said, either you're for me or you are against me. Now, I'm not saying that he's not accepting of all. He said, whosoever will, let him come. Right now, that's the message. Whoever will, for God so loved the world. But you have to come to him. He didn't come to condemn the world, did he? But that the world through him might be saved. But he came because of those in the world who were under condemnation. And the only way out was through him. To be broken, to have that condemnation broken. And so it's also very confrontational. And then thirdly, it's contentious. You ready for this one? Proverbs 28.2. It says, because of the transgression of the land... Many are its princes, or rulers, or tyrants. Tyranny comes because of the transgression. In other words, the tyrants, is not, they're not our greatest problem. The greatest problem America faces today is its sin, its rebellion against God. And God is responding to the sin of the land. The prophet Amos said, if a trumpet is blown in a city... Will not the people be afraid? If there's calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? We've departed from that kind of God. Proverbs 28 goes on and says, But by a man, even just one man, a man of understanding and knowledge, right will be prolonged. One man can make a difference. Over in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 15, there was, a, there was found in a city a poor wise man, and this man, it says, by his wisdom delivered the city. But no one remembered the man. No one remembered that poor man. Don't expect to receive any accolades, any applause. You just do the will of the Father. Your obedience can deliver a city. Your obedience can deliver a nation. One man, one woman saying yes to Jesus Christ. And then it goes on, and now this is good. In the Proverbs, it says those, now, you got to hear this. Those who forsake the law praise the wicked. Is that not happening in America? There are those who are forsaking the Constitution. Other politicians are praising them for it. Now, listen, those who have forsaken 
the law, or it says, but such as keep the law, contend, contend with them. Did you hear that? But such as keep the law, they're automatically in contention with those who break the law and who are living in rebellion. Contend means to strive, dispute, engage in battle, or to be stirred up. This week I heard, actually it might have been the week before, I don't know, man, all this, the weeks fly by, they pass by, I don't even know what week it is. But anyway, this is a real champion of America. She's one of those patriots, champions. Many men have backed off. They have no backbone, surrendered to the enemy's plans, but not Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's a congresswoman, and she's over this oversight committee, you know, investigating. And she said publicly, now no media is reporting on it. That's why the church has to stand behind her. We'd rather not have to report on this, but she said that the government has found over 2,000 pages of treason and actual corruption in the Biden family. And it's spread all through the family, and it's spread all through the government. Many heads of America right now that are in occupying positions of leadership are utterly corrupt to the core. And nobody is really shouting that, but maybe a few congressmen and congresswomen that are unafraid. But anyway, that's what the Bible says. Those who break the law, the righteous are going to be in contention with them. Now, you think about this. God gave us a president who was in contention with the wicked. And many of the righteous blasphemed him and criticized him, not knowing that he was actually doing what the Bible said you're supposed to be doing. And they crucified one that was doing what God said. That's because they do not know the Bible. We've departed from the Bible. It's the, the law of the land, so they don't even know what the Bible says. And they voted in contrary to the will of God. They didn't even know it. And they're going to give an account. If you don't know God's Word, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Your ignorance of the Word of God is not going to defend you on the day of judgment. You will give an account for how you lived your life. In any way, it's contentious. That's the real Christianity. Now, not that you're trying. It's just your lifestyle. You live righteous. If you even desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you're going to suffer persecution. How come many Christians in America are not suffering any persecution? And then the next thing about Christianity, genuine Christianity is contagious. It causes a reaction. Look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. It causes some kind of reaction. You either should make people upset or get them rightly set. On the path that God had called them to, you, you got to do one or the other. And uh, so 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Man, that's a scripture you should quote a couple times every day. Thanks be to God, who always leads us to triumph in Christ. Regardless of what comes your way, there's a way of victory. There's a way. And through us, 
diffuses or manifests the fragrance of His knowledge in every place. In other words, we ought to be leaving some kind of odor behind us wherever we go. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved. You see that? And, and among those who are perishing. So you're going to be an odor to one or the other, both. Actually, the saved and those who are perishing. Verse 16, to the one we are the aroma of death leading to death. In other words, they're on the way to death, and if they continue to reject Christ, then they're just going to stay on that journey, and unto the other, the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? So we should cause some kind of reaction. Jesus was the most, either the most loved man on the earth, or he was the most hated. And what did he say about us? If they hated me, they're also going to hate you. When I hear these things about what we believe here that I have never heard of that we would believe in, it encourages me. God, thank you. We rejoice in that God. How many churches never get talked about today? You should be glad, Richard, when you're misunderstood and maligned and, you know, accused. That just means there's probably something good going on. But there is that contagiousness. We should be releasing the fragrance. I didn't even feel like I was releasing anything, Chris. On Friday, I could barely hear on the YouTube, on the, uh, the Zoom because of the worship practice going on. And they could hear me, obviously, pretty well. And uh, when it was over, I just thought, wow, whew, we made it through that. And um, I had no idea I'd left an odor there. I hadn't even been there. It was just my voice and my picture on a big screen. But they could smell me in that place. And the Spirit of God was poured out there. And demons began to flee and sicknesses began to be healed. And multitudes of people came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's just amazing. You don't even have to feel very good about this. Just walk down the aisle at Walmart and just thank him. God, I thank you that I'm a fragrance today. I'm releasing some type of an odor. The ones that know you are going to appreciate that. They're going to be drawn closer to you. And those that don't know you, they're going to be drawn further away unless they come by way of the cross. And then genuine Christianity is Christ-centric. Christ-centric. Now, Bobby Connor's coming in a few weeks to do another school, and he's called it the uh, centricity of Christ. I thought he had it wrong. I text Bobby. I said, Bobby, you gave us the information, the centricity. I thought it was the centrality. He said, same thing. It means the same thing. And I looked it up. Lo and behold, it means the same thing. I just was brought up thinking this centrality. Regardless, centricity, centrality, this is not about man. It's not about a movement. It's no one's preference. It's not even, now this is a big one. It's not even about the sons of God. Now, I know that all of creation is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. But the real sons of God are going to manifest the Son of God. That's how you know a real son, the sons or daughters of God. They will manifest, they'll release that fragrance of heaven, and they'll bring glory and honor to the revel. They'll reveal Christ Jesus. That's who they'll be, their testimony. But it's not about all that. It's not a... 
It's not the gospel of America. It's not the gospel of the church. It's not the gospel of Israel. We appreciate all of these messages, but it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Period. I'm called to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. That's the message I've been called to. And as I understand correctly, that's the message of the last day church. You're going to preach the gospel of the kingdom through all the nations of the earth, and then the end shall come. And you'll give a testimony to who Jesus Christ is all over the earth. And then genuine Christianity is extremely costly. Listen to this. This is the hour where being a Christian could mean you will be forced to make a decision whether you will live or whether you will die. And dying will not be the wrong choice. If you choose to live, it could be the wrong choice. Did you understand that? That choosing to live in this hour may be the wrong choice, and it may be the most deadly choice you've ever made. Because those that they overcome by the the blood of the Lamb, they wash their sins by the word of their testimony, as Constance shared, the the testimony that I met Jesus, the real Jesus revealed himself to me and changed my life. But you also overcome because they do not love their lives even unto death. Jesus said, and we read it earlier, he that seeks to save his life will lose it. But he that loses his life for my sake and the gospels will find it. I remember before Shirley came along in West Virginia, those years as a single pastor, and I've shared many times, man, it was, there were all kinds of struggles, ready to go back home to Louisiana, and I just was ready to quit. I don't know if I've shared this particular story or not, and I was, I was by my couch, and I think I'd knelt down, and I was just weeping, and I said, God, I'm ready to go home. I quit. You ever felt like, you know, this is just too much? I mean, I can't handle anymore, and I just said, Lord, I'm ready. I, I'm, I quit. I'm going home, Lord. It's, I know you, you brought me here to bring me to this point, And then I heard the Lord, and he asked me a question. He said, did my son get off of his cross? I thought, well, that's a strange question. Of course not. Then he said, are you going to get off of yours? And I thought a moment. I said, of course not. I will not get off of this. And I thank God, but that's what true Christianity is. It's taking up your cross. He died. Salvation comes through his death alone, our receiving. But then we follow him, and we actually, it is the testimony of a follower that takes up his cross daily and follows him. Now, some translations leave out the word daily, but that's the next thing I want to share, and this is the last thing. Genuine Christianity is a daily choice, a daily choice. He didn't demand that anyone follow him. Now, as Constance, I mean, he just was there to such an overwhelming degree. It's rather hard to say no because of the love and the graciousness and goodness of our God. But still, we have to make a choice. Everyone that's ever followed him, he said, come after me. Follow me. 
and I'll make you fishers of men. And in John chapter 6, remember there were those that they no longer followed him. And Jesus said, what about you? Are you also? Because it was too difficult to accept the fact that they had to eat of his body and drink of his blood, not understanding there was a spiritual dimension of surrendering your life to the one Christ Jesus and following him. And it said in John 6, 6, 6, from that time, many of his disciples turned away. They went back and they followed him no more. And I believe that's the question the Lord is asking today. Will you follow me in this hour? Are you willing to surrender it all? Are you holding on to something? I'm not going to go there this morning, but was thinking of um, was it 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and how all had come through the wilderness and they passed, you know, that rock, that rock was Christ. They all were baptized. They were real believers. And it was a New Testament example. He said, these you need to pay attention to because this is what it will be like at the end of the age. And there were those that it said God was not well pleased with because they rose up and they began to commit adultery. They began to complain and murmur. They rose up with idolatry. They tempted Christ. There was a whole list of things. They, they were involved in sexual immorality. And not only were they involved, I believe the New Testament teaches if you approve of that which those are doing regarding sexual immorality. I saw where a governor this week proudly signed a bill regarding transgenderism in his state. The Bible says if you even agree with those who are living ungodly, you will stand before a holy God and give an account of your sin, of your rebellion and disobedience. But yet they had to turn. But there were many in that day, they would not follow him. They did not pass the test. They did not go to heaven. I remember in particular, I might as well have just talked about it. I remember it all anyway. But those who murmured, those who were complaining, it says they were destroyed by the destroyer. And God allowed it. And I just think, God, this is an incredible time in which we're living. But in these hours, we need to know if we're in the faith. Do we really have genuine Christianity or have we bought the counterfeit model? And it's sad to say, I believe that many Americans have bought the counterfeit. And they need, we need to blow the trumpet. We need to sound the alarm. We need to shout louder than we've ever shouted. It's not time to join the inclusive crowd. We're, he, we're inclusive. Anyone shall come. But you come by way of the cross. Jesus is the way. He's the only way. The only way, the only, he's the truth and he's the life. And the Bible says to test and evaluate yourself in the Amplified. To see whether you are in the faith and you're living your lives outwardly as committed believers. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves by an ongoing experience that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test and are rejected as a counterfeit. Father, I pray. God, I ask for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I ask for the fear of God 
to fall upon the American church. I ask you, God, to awaken the masses that have bought that which is counterfeit. And I pray, Lord, that you would destroy the altar of counterfeit Christianity in our land and raise up that which is genuine, that which is true, that which is right in the sight of God, that which the priests were to lift up before the people. Lord, I thank you that you, because of your great love, will do that. And God, I thank you that you're going to rescue and deliver and save and heal again as you've always done. For Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, we honor you in this place. We honor your son, Jesus. We thank you, God, for the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for the fragrance of heaven. To some, death to death. But to others, life to life. And Lord, the, really, the rest of that story is really, for some, from death to life. Because they've come to that conviction and they've been drawn by the power of the Holy Spirit. And they've repented and they said, yes, I need a Savior. I can't save myself. My religion won't save me. My going to church or my whatever it is I do to be acceptable, it's none of that is working. I simply fall on my knees. I receive the grace. I receive Jesus, my Savior. I repent. I turn to him. And I say, yes, Lord, come into my heart. And I thank you, God, we're living in the day all over the earth that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I thank you, Lord, it's also households are coming to the Lord in this hour. And God, you're going to use men and women that are going to see entire cities and regions come to Christ. Entire nations can be saved in a day. This is not impossible with you. And we won't even remember who those simple poor men and women are, but you'll get all the glory and all the honor. And we thank you for it. And if you're watching by web stream or you're in this room this morning, I just want to lead you in a prayer. And then we're going to have some of our prayer team around the altar. And uh, we want you to confirm if you have come to Jesus today, you need to share that with somebody. Go find a church where you live. Go grab someone and, uh, that's a believer and say, I've just given my life to Christ. Can you help me? And I want to be baptized. That's your outward testimony that you are a follower of Jesus. And, um, but I believe he's going to touch many people. Just pray this. There's somebody in this room. Just say, dear God, I need a Savior. I believe in Jesus, that he is the son of the living God, that he lived, that he died, and he rose from the dead. And I confess my sin, and I ask you to forgive me. I turn my life over to you. I forsake the world, and I grab hold of Jesus Christ, and I give you my heart. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead and I confess you with my mouth. Thank you, Jesus. Fill me with the Spirit of God and use me for the rest of my life. If you prayed that prayer, connect with us and we'll send you some uh, literature and uh, we'll, be, we'll do what we can. But here's what I've learned. The Holy Spirit is the best discipler. 
Because how are you going to disciple what's happening in Uganda? You don't stop it. You just do the best you can, but you trust the Holy Spirit. And he is the greatest discipler. And he that began a good work in you, he will complete it. How many of you are confident of that?